Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar. And I have never been emotionally traumatized by an animated <laughs> series quite like this. Until now! <laughs> ah, there we go. The uh, episodes that we're on today of Avatar are episodes 7 and 8 <laughs> of season 2. And all of you Avatar fans out there, or people who are following Avatar, who started watching, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know you know this, Amanda. I mean, okay, before we even get started, may I just ask, do you experience the same sort of emotional pain you, even after how many times you've watched the series? Please just let me know. If you're suffering as much as I am, please tell me. <laughs> Always got to throw our Star Wars in there. Um, so, funnily enough, I, I'm going to have some hot takes on this episode. So, like, get ready. But generally, yes, I, I love these two episodes. Um, these are especially the episode seven Zuko alone, which we'll get to. Um, but that's one of the highest ranked episodes is you'll find out with the IMDb rating um, of the entire show. So it's kind of oh, wow. one of the most famous. Well, I mean, so, uh, it focuses, it focuses as the title betrays uh, episode seven Zuko alone. It is literally that the show is it's, it's literally just Zuko and Zuko's experiences. So let's get into it. Let's get into it with some episode yes. stats here. <laughs> the episode is written by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Welch Ehaj. Um, and we've seen some of the highs and lows of Elizabeth's uh, writing here. And so she takes us on quite a ride in this episode. It's directed by oh, yeah. Lauren McMullen. It's animated by JM animation and the episode aired May 12th, 2006. And true, true to your words, the IMDb rating for Zuko alone is 9.5 out of 10. A massive, mm -hmm. massive score. Did you say this is one of or the highest rating? It's one of the highest. Um, of I the believe highest. that the finale is the highest. Um, the four, because the finale is four episodes basically. So those are the four highest rated episodes. But um, so the, so the finale like... of the series was the highest rated. Yes. I can't make a Star Wars <laughs> reference on that one. I know. <laughs> I was about to say, that like never happens nowadays. Like the finales always fall flat generally for shows, but like no, the finale was the height of Avatar, which is okay, crazy. Good. I, I, I so there. I'm hoping for get like it's gonna be Avatar Endgame when we get there. So yeah. <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> okay, well take us away with some fun facts. All right. Um, so for our first fun fact, when Zuko beats the Earthbender and reveals his identity, a man in the crowd shouted that Zuko's own father burned and betrayed him. However, in the storm, it was implied that this fact was not publicly known, as Zuko's own crew, who had been traveling with him for three years, was under the assumption that he got burned in a training accident. So that's a bit of, like, that's a bit of... Continuity. I, I, like yeah i was gonna say when that happened during the episode i was like wait a minute who told you that what wait a damn minute <laughs> i was like i was now i'm thinking to myself i'm like i had i had like a drake and josh megan moment i was like zula 
<laughs> literally that works so well for her she's she's spreading anti-zuko propaganda azula's just well, there with stop. the with the can of pop watching on the screen like hmm, interesting <laughs> yes azula and megan are the same character confirmed mm-hmm. oh, they're both man. nick shows evil younger sisters yeah they're both nick evil younger sisters <laughs> um so <laughs> i can't get that comparison out of my head now um do it should do I do I need do I need to Google and make sure that Miranda Cosgrove isn't actually the one doing Azula's voice? Do I need do I need to fact check this here? <laughs> oh no, no, no. Um <laughs> so our second fun fact is that this is the only episode in the entire series in which Team Avatar does not appear. The entirety of Team Avatar is not in this episode. And it's kind of funny because like you don't really miss them in this episode. There's so much happening with Zuko that like you kind of forget oh right like there's a whole other like, yeah i mean you know. honestly if the whole rest of the series was just zuko and we just never got back to anybody else i'm not so sure i'd miss it like i just, just leave me with zuko for the rest of the show it's okay i'm all, i'll be all right. right what's really funny though is that in stark contrast the next episode starts with like really heavily focusing on the on the dynamics of the new group so like it's a hilarious contact uh contrast watching the two episodes oh, yeah. back to back Oh yeah, for sure. Um, our third fact is that fun. Blech, the fact that the dagger says "Made in Earth Kingdom" is a nod to how most modern day products are made in China, because the Earth Kingdom is based off of China in the world of Avatar. You've got China, which is uh, the Earth Kingdom. You have Japan, which is uh, the Fire Nation. You have the Tibetan monks, which are the Airbenders, and then you have the Inuit people, which are the North or the South and North Pole. So right. it, it's just a kind of funny little nod to like modern day. Oh yeah, made in China. Everything's made there. Um, and then our fourth and final fun fact is that it was not said directly, but it was heavily implied in the comics. There's a comic that came out after the series mm-hmm. ended, exploring more of Zuko's backstory and what happened to his mom. Um, and so it's heavily implied in the comics that Ursa, Zuko's mother, killed Fire Lord Azulon. And how it's implied that she did that was that she poisoned him. She created this herb that he drank and um, and he basically died in his, died in his sleep. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack out of everything you just said. <laughs> so thanks for that fun fact. Okay, so wait a minute. So, uh, so let's just jump in. Uh, we always jump in, I feel like, at the end of the episode stuff, at the start of our podcast. <laughs> so you know what? Let's just do that. Okay. So wait a minute. So wait. <laughs> wait. Because there all there's all this vagueness at the end of the episode too. So so at the end of the episode, there's this whole big thing about how um Fire Lord Azulon says to Ozai that like he needs to pay and make a sacrifice because of you know him slighting his brother, suggesting that his brother not be the heir. So like he's basically spoken blasphemy in his court and he wants to punish him. Right. But then Ozai doesn't get punished. Azulan dies. But Azulan dies, and then Zuko's mother, Ursa, also disappears. Mm-hmm. And 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 the the way the show puts it together, a it makes it seem very different from what you're saying. And number mm-hmm. two, I just need to ask that if there's a comic that explains this. Does the series never explain it? (laughs) 
Okay. Without, because there is more to the story that the series explains, but they do not fully go into it. That's what the comic is for. Um, but without giving too much away, because it is a big part of the third season, you know, that's yeah. one of the questions. That's one of those lingering things. Um, okay. But basically, without giving anything away, yes, they kind of leave it open ended as to what happened with Zuko's mom. Um, okay. But like I said, they do answer it in the comic that came out after the show ended. Um, okay. I think because it, it is a bit darker than what they, like I said, I mean, she straight up killed a guy. Um, but... <laughs> and then she killed Fire Lord Azulan into sleep. Ironic. <laughs> Literally. Oh, man. She could save her son, but not herself. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. that's great i mean yeah no so um and there's so much to that story it's not like that's just a snippet of it there's so much that they go into and so much lore that they build on and so it's a really good you comic ever, you ever hear the tragedy of fire lord azulan the wise <laughs> it's not a story the fire nation would tell you <laughs> <laughs> Literally, nobody uh, knew that she did it. So, like, they believe that he truly just was an old man and died in his sleep. It was brilliant. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, yeah no, so... the, the whole thing is so weird, too, because at the end of the episode, it's, like, implied that, like, Ozai had to give had to make a sacrifice. And so, we're, you know, and of course, mm -hmm. with Azula, they're like, oh, he's going to sacrifice you. And so, like, I don't know, maybe my, my adult brain and, like, the fever that this, that this, episode put me through maybe i just thought of it like this but i thought that like ursa had given herself over in zuko's place to like die and and right. or like confronted fire lord azulan about that he was going to take her son because and she would have known because if azula overheard it and she grabbed her by the arm and led her away maybe she told her and maybe she confronted him mm -hmm. so like I was under the impression that she died, quote unquote, because I also know how things like this go. And I'm like, no, she's not dead. He for sure is dead because he's either burning him in a pyre. So it, for sure he's, right. he's dead. But yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. There, There is more to this story that will be explored in season three and in the comic. And since, you know, we can't really do, a, I mean, we could do a podcast about the comic, but, um, you know, if you want me to just give you the rundown when we hit the finale, I will, because it's a lot. But uh, we're, we're going to start, yeah, maybe we should just start a season two after this. Instead of discovering Avatar, it'll be like overdosing on Avatar, like that. <laughs> obsessing right. over Avatar. The comic. So, yeah, it, but either way, even if you don't know what's going on, like you don't have the hindsight like I do, it still is implied to be something dark happened, like something that we weren't allowed to show because yeah. obviously it's a kid's show. <laughs> right. But yeah, but so so jumping then from the from the end of the episode now back to the beginning, um, I just need to ask you as, as, a, as a first when you were a first time watcher of the show. Did you have the same level of like crush on Zuko that we have now? I mean, I'm a first time watcher, but I'm an adult and I already have a man crush on Zuko. So how was it for you oh. when you were like, oh, I get an episode that's just Zuko? Like, Oh yeah, no, I mean, I, I've always loved Zuko. I've always had a crush on him. He was like one of those first childhood crushes that never goes away. <laughs> um, 
And I think a big part of that is not only do they draw him really well, like he's obviously a very distinct look about him, but he's not bad. He's just drawn that way. <laughs> Literally. Um, but Dante Bosco's voice acting is a huge part of it as well. Um, I think that he brings so much character to Zuko and like what could be a very standard stale type of bad guy um like he gives so much depth and layers to in just the nuance of his vocal performance um and especially in episodes like this like it's it's so good he doesn't really talk a lot in this episode but when he does it like hits you like damn Zuko like you feel the weight of his travels and like of all the shit he's been through and how it's just weighing on him so much and it's just oh it's so good um yeah, the voice actor does an amazing job. Uh, the the gravity behind his words, the emotions, like you said, that are there behind everything. You can feel the fatigue and the emotional rawness. And it really conveys also um, the flashbacks that he's getting. I think one of the one of the best, I don't, I'm not recalling any specific dialogue, but a scene in particular mm -hmm. is after the news comes to the family that, um, that their, their son has died in the, in the war that he's missing or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Zuko has that flashback to, you know, what happened with the news of, of Iroh's son, uh, dying in the war and, and in the battle at Ba Sing Se. And, uh, it's Ba Sing Se, right? Yes. And and so when we return back to him at the farm and the family is mourning, like there's that little bit of just like like graveliness in his voice. His voice isn't quite broken, but there's like this emotion in it that's like just perceptible. And I love that. It's it, it, there's a huge amount of talent for all the things the show can be praised for that we've praised the show for you know the, the 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 animation and the choreography of the fights that that uh pays homage to the to the martial arts styles that they're patterned after the storytelling the writing the character development um you know the scenery the world building but like the voice music. actors of the show yeah the music but the voice actors of the show are really fantastic and like you know oh, hats are. off to them yeah, absolutely. And while we're just on the topic of uh, voice actors, the voice actor that they got for young Zuko is perfect. Like, honestly, because obviously it's the same actress for Azula. She just like pitched up her voice, but it's a completely different actor for young Zuko. And he nails it, whoever that kid was, because like I hear Dante Bosco, <laughs> but like young Dante Bosco. Um, and it just was really impressive because like it's so easy to mess up trying to find similar voices especially when your voice is so distinct like Dante Bosco's is um but yeah no that that kid absolutely nailed it and it's it's a seamless transition honestly in my opinion um but so uh, so the voice actor for young Zuko is Elijah Runcorn if i'm pronouncing his name correctly Elijah Runcorn oh. nice Good job, Elijah. <laughs> you did yeah, Dante Bosco and, and Zuko proud. Yeah, and the and uh, at least from from what I'm looking at, which is the behindthevoiceactors.com, it was the first search that came up. Um, he only has like mm. one other credited role from a 2008 TV show a few years later called Random Cartoons. Like, there's no other voice credit to him, as far as I know. Huh. So yeah, he came in, nailed the voice for Young Zuko, and knocked it out of the park, and. Didn't do much else. Huh. 
I wonder if maybe he was like related to somebody at Nickelodeon and they were like, Hey, I bet my kid kind of sounds like Dante Bosco, but he could do young Zuko. <laughs> he's been doing, funny. he's been doing Zuko impressions ever since he watched him in season one. <laughs> right. I, I'd buy it. Um, I know a lot of creators like to put their kids into the projects, even in just little parts like that. So, but uh, yeah, great job, Elijah. Um, so <laughs> I guess while we're on the topic of kids, this okay what did you think of because there's two real stories going on here there's the modern present day and then we have the flashbacks to when young zuko and azula and fire lord Mm -hmm. ozai and all that um so what are your thoughts on the present story because we have a lot to talk about in the flashback but i want to hear your thoughts on the present story so the present story in summary uh is that uh zuko winds up staying um with this dirt nation family and of course obviously they have a pig farm because it's the dirt nation um and uh when the thugs are in the city i was like typical dirt nation behavior um (laughs) doesn't surprise me at all uh so yeah i'm I'm a dirt nation hater what can i say uh you are i really am i i I make no bones at least i'm honest about it okay but you know but i have yeah. you know what i have i have a friend in the i have a friend who's from the dirt nation so it's okay <laughs> oh my god but so they but the, the family winds up keeping him in and may i say by the way i was extremely offended they have a guest arrive at their farm and they're like oh don't ask him his name that's rude and then the man is literally starving and so they're like <laughs> let's make him work until dinner <laughs> We have a guest and he's starving. Let's put him to work. Okay. I actually had a thought about that because as a kid, no, as a kid, I felt the same way. I was like, uh, that's not usually how those things go. <laughs> like usually if, you know, you have somebody, you bring somebody in and they're clearly like malnourished. That's actually a really good detail that I don't know if you noticed, but Zuko has gotten like very thin, like since we last saw him, um, his cheeks are kind of hollowed out. Like his, body is just physically thinner and so yeah he hasn't been eating a lot and he's clearly starving and he didn't get the food because the guys were assholes and so I was like just let the man eat give him a place to stay let him eat just like he needs let him take his shoes Um, off right but now that like re-watching it I'm like ah I get what's happening because Zuko is so against the idea of being humble and being like, you know, a beggar basically, which is what he is. Um, Cause he has nothing and nobody, um, you know, he feel he doesn't want to be like a charity case. I think that's what they were going for is that like, he wouldn't want to just accept food and shelter from them. Okay. Just- okay. And I get that, but they didn't yeah. even offer it. They weren't like, Oh, put your, you, know, you guys go to the fields and you come in and like, take off your shoes let me get you some water you've been writing it's hot outside i mean when the egg hit the soldier's face it was clearly cooking right on his forehead so clearly it's hot outside (laughs) and and but they didn't even offer and he wasn't like oh no no it's fine in fact i'll go help them like to try to prove himself or something like they were just like why don't you guys all go and work while i finish up dinner so (laughs) nice try i get it yeah yeah, no, I, I get it. I think that they could have written that a bit better, kind of like you said, like maybe they offered it first and he declined and then they were like, well, why don't you go help my husband and then you'll earn your keep and all that. And it's like, 
Yeah. Speaking of other hot takes you have on this episode, I'm really curious what we're going to get to. But can I also just make a quick note, as long as we're on the topic of the Dirt Nation and what a bunch of dirty pig farmers they are, um, that all of the animals on their farm are pig-based. Literally everything. And so I got to tell mm-hmm. you, there are a lot of fictional universes that people are like, oh, which fictional universe do you want to live in? Do you want to go to Narnia? Would you rather live in Middle-earth? Do you want to live in the Star Wars universe? No, I want to live somewhere where there's like 95 different varieties of bacon. Okay. <laughs> like right. if there's like pig turkeys, pig chickens, there's pig cows, there's pig horses, there's pig hippopotamuses. Like I want to try it all. I couldn't tell you how yes. happy that made me. I was like, okay, <laughs> there's one good thing about the Dirt Nation. We're fine. Well, since you mentioned the hot takes, I guess I'll just get right into mine. Um, Does it relate to I the first storyline, like this storyline in particular? The yes, it, it does relate to the uh, the modern uh, or the not modern, the present storyline. Um, yeah. And that's that I don't like the ending. Question mark? <laughs> Where they all turn on him instantly because the Dirt Nation is a bunch of backwater, backwards racists. <laughs> yes. Now. I think this could have worked. And the only thing that doesn't work about it for me is the kid. So the adults turning on him because they've heard these stories and like, he's obviously the Prince of the fire nation, like their ultimate enemy, basically. Um, I totally get the adults turning on them and the mom wanting to protect her kid, but God damn it. It makes me so mad that the kid also turned on him because it would make it so much worse if he didn't like, imagine if the kid was like really wanting to like, you know, maybe go run and hug him or something for saving him. And the mom physically had to hold him back. And like, he doesn't understand why he can't like, you know, embrace this man that just saved his life basically from the soldiers. And, you know, he's trying to explain, like Zuko's trying to explain and the mom's just like, no, I don't want him to hear this. Like you have to get out of here. I have a counter (laughs) hot take when you're done. Okay. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, I just, for me at least, I think it would have been so much more tragic on Zuko's part if the kid, because he's young, doesn't understand the complexities of war and the relationship yeah. with the Fire Nation and the people in the Fire Nation. Um, okay. So he's just kind of innocent and he just sees him as the sort of older brother figure. And the mom yeah. has to shatter that reality. Well, especially with his older brother, like, dying or being lost in the war or whatever, like, right? Wasn't that who it was? It was right. his other brother? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so so, so from the perspective of the family and, like, the kid liking him and then, like, the parents being like, oh, no, you're Fire Nation and you're the, the, the prince who's awful, you know, because some girl who looked an awful lot like the prince's sister came in and told us a bunch of awful things about you apparently um you know like I, and then the kid being like 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 you said like tortured like that he wants to embrace him to show the innocence and of of children like we say that hatred isn't born into people it's taught that kind of of hatred exactly i think I would contend that they made the better choice because I did the exact same weighing of it. But here's the thing. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying a different perspective on it. <laughs> I, I, I think that given the fact that the point of the episode was to show the traumas that Zuko has undergone in his life, the things that haunt him to this day, he's lying there as a kid in bed 
shielding himself by literally repeating out loud that Azula always lies, Azula always lies, and he's in his sleep saying Azula always lies, Azula always lies, all the traumas from his youth, all these things, it, it's, it's demonstrating what's made him into who he is. And I feel like if the episode, if the episode had shown the kid liking him at the end, even after the revelation, the episode tone would have would have communicated to us as an audience that Zuko is changing and that the people who have pure and and un like unmanipulated views and beliefs could see that he's a good person and can see it and accept him. But instead, I felt like the episode stuck a, a knife in us, and then with the kid turning on, a, on him at the end, twisted it a little, that we want to see Zuko change. We're watching Zuko do good deeds and help people and be selfless. He even tries not to use his firebending during the fight, trying as hard as he can not to let who he is be shown. And at the end, even when he tries to be generous, even when he offers the knife back to the kid, and he's like, here, this belongs to you, the people just slap it away from his hand, and they're just like screw you buddy and we hate the kids like i hate you he doesn't just say like i don't want to look at you the kid literally says i hate you and and why because i feel like the episode put it in to show the despair of zuko trying to make things right but the world not allowing him to do that that the world the world he grew up in has forced him to be this way to survive and the and the world he lives in now continues even when he tries a different path no one likes it and no one will accept it and who he is the very thing that his mother told him to cling to is going to continue to make people hate him not love him mm-hmm yeah. And so, like, there's there's the narrative take that I took on it. You're absolutely right, but like, I can see where the episode made that choice. And I personally like the one they went with, thinking, oh, maybe it would have been different if the kid was agonized. But the kid hating him, I think, just like, no, Zuko's still in this uphill battle to make people even accept him. Oh yeah, no, and there's there's a this isn't a spoiler or anything, but there's a line that Zuko says much much later in the series why am i so bad at being good <laughs> and that's so true right see i think the agony of the 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 villain on the start of a redemption arc is everyone just assuming he's bad and it could discourage mm -hmm. him assuming the worst right and it could discourage him and like you said it's not that he's bad at being good is that he's bad at he's in a world that is bad at accepting his good and like mm -hmm. people who try to do good in the world, I feel like it's very like point poignant point for like the world we live in. For people to go out and try to put their light into the world, they say try to be the change you want to see in the world, and the world still keeps being awful. It can be discouraging. That's a really good take on it, and I think that that is what they were going for with that particular ending. Um, I just it just makes me mad and maybe that's why because it makes me so physically angry I, it's because it's supposed to make you mad it's my blood was hot in my like up to my ears at that moment it's supposed to make you mad mm -hmm. and then him just riding off alone in the sunset i'm like my poor boy god damn it see oh, i see i, I just... I'm, I'm a tabletop role-playing game master i've been one since i was 12 years old doing things that make the players want to get up and throw a chair at you is like that's like the the height of my storytelling that is 
That is exactly what I go for. <laughs> I want the people to hate me. But see, for me, and I totally get that. I mean, writer, I like torturing my audience but um, <laughs> and my characters. But I like to walk away from something like this feeling sad rather than angry. So if it was the if it was my option or my script idea, yeah. then I would have been really sad because like, yeah, that really sucks that what could have been a really great brotherly friendship or whatever between Zuko and this kid is now being ripped apart because of who he is and the circumstances. That's really sad and tragic. But this one just makes me angry. I don't like feeling <laughs> angry. <laughs> And you know what? And and you and I are both writers, and it brings up just an interesting point. Um, in writing, it's really, it's a really fine line sometimes that you walk with your your viewers or your readers, whoever it is, trying to figure out what emotional reaction you're trying to elicit from them. Because in a story like this, where you have a character you're trying to make sympathetic to your to your audience. Um, you you have a choice of which way you can swing it. You can either make the audience feel really sad and really sorry for him, or you can get the audience really angry at the people that keep him down or keep them, you know, whatever way that they're keep them depressed, keep them silent, you know, and 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 so yeah, like you really do have two options here, and uh, one's not better than the other, uh, but they went with the one um, and not the other there, right. Yeah, the whole thing was a huge bra moment at the end where like everyone turns on him. It's mm -hmm. just I felt like they took that knife, that pearl dagger, and just stuck me with it. Right. And I do love while we're on the present um storyline, I love that fight scene. Like, like you said, him trying to avoid using firebending for as long as possible, and then just rippling it out of him using his swords. Like it's so like violent and visceral and you really feel it. Like he is at his wits end by the end of that fight. And he is just letting the fire go. Like it's so visually beautiful and it's so perfect for his character. And I love the use of kind of like with the fans with Kiyoshi, I love the use of the dual blades uh, and the fire kind of coming from them as an extension of his body. Um, and it's just, oh, it's so cool. I love seeing him beat that guy's ass. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's so satisfying the way the fight draws on because you see him just whoop the first three guys and you're like, oh yeah, he's going to just, you know, nail it here. Um, but then the other guy just really starts beating him and beating him down and beating him back and everything. And you're like, no, Zuko, win. No, Zuko, you can do this. It's it's really, it's a great, it was a great metaphor in the episode, the restraint uh, that he showed as if his fire bending is that like bad part of him that he doesn't want to let out and so by restraining that he's restraining the like darker tendencies and it really is kind of you know every time through the series that we see Z zuko using his power he channels his anger and so you know to see him try to hold back on that is really like i'm going to dutifully get rid of these guys and he does so very cool and calm and collected and it's only when he mm -hmm. finally is angry enough that he can't hold back his rage like you said that it's a very visceral reaction and the firebending comes out mm -hmm. and it seems almost like not even intentional because he's on his back when this happens like he has been knocked out and he has one final like memory flash of his mother leaving um and uh disappearing and so 
like that almost triggers him in a way like to use a word that is way overused but it does it triggers him and he literally just in a rage like it just it just happens he just starts firebending he like enters crazy the and- zucatar state Uh, i mean basically yeah uh going sicko mode on the guy but um yeah and it's it's really you know it's it's kind of therapeutic in a way for us the audience because we're just like dude just use your firebending do it uh and then when it finally happens you see just how violent it is and you're like oh calm down (laughs) like you know um See, and I think that that's what creates, that's what creates, I think, the, the like you said, that the anger on the part of the audience watching the episode is that we're taken down that emotional path, like you said, where you're, you're like, no, come on, do it. And then it's so, it feels so satisfying. It feels so good that he finally brings it out and there's the fire and there's his victory over the guy. And then everyone, including the kid, just hates him. And we're like, no, we're supposed to be cheering. You feel like you're alone right. cheering. And like you're just, you're angrily clapping because no one else is, you know? I'd be the one villager that would go up to him and give him a hug. <laughs> you think it's going to be okay to go? <laughs> it's going to be okay. Season three is right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Just like 14 more episodes, buddy. We can do it. Right. Um, but yeah, and I, I love the that when he finally does beat the guy, he like literally declares his title. You know, I am Prince Zuko, son of Fire Lord Ozai and Ursa, Prince of the Fire Nation. Like this is the first time that we've seen him really do something like that. Cause he's been in hiding. He has been on the run. Like, you know, we've never really, obviously he's called Prince Zuko, but we never hear him announce it like that. You know, like Azula, she runs around with this freaking, um, what is it? like a palakine, I think is what they're called. And the royal army and everything. Like she's clearly showing like, yeah, I'm a princess, deal with it. But he's like, no, he's got this rinky dink little ship and crew and his uncle. That's all he has. (laughs) So I love, for me, I love seeing him like own it, being like, yeah, I'm the prince. Like, what of it? I mean, (laughs) I mean, I mean, let's, let's be honest though. Let's circle it back to a discussion we really haven't had in a long time. Um, which is the comparison between Zuko and Ben Solo, aka Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. and so and, and who also has royal blood from his grandmother, mm-hmm. Queen Amidala. Um, he has he has that royal lineage. I mean, if if only the line of rulers in on Naboo were you know hereditary rulers in a lineage instead of elected (laughs) officials one could say that he is potentially heir to the throne but he has royal blood i mean his um you know his mother was was a princess princess. of alderaan like he has double royal blood Mm -hmm. it's too bad that he'd have to go rule an asteroid field that's really sad um (laughs) if i ever heard ben solo say my name is Ben Solo, Prince of Alderaan. I would have literally died. Yeah. My, I don't think I would physically be able to take it. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like son of Prince Leia Organa, Prince of Alderaan. Like, good god, I would have died. And it's not exactly a secret; like he has a secret lineage. But I mean, he's he's like a, the wandering. You know, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, the ro—he's like the Ronan. 
he's like the Ronin, like the lone right. warrior walking around there with his swords mm -hmm. and his hat, and he is nobody to anybody. And, and he has this whole secret identity. He keeps telling everybody, you know, hiding his name from everybody. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I also uh... love, I also love um, that this, these two episodes, and I find this hilarious, by the way, if you love these episodes, if they're high ranked for you, I find it funny because you've always been like, I don't get the appeal of like spaghetti westerns and the whole western thing. It's just some people like the whole cowboy thing. I don't get it. Zuko is literally the man with no name. This is a Clint. Oh, these yeah. two episodes are a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. And no, I I like Western. I mean, I'm from Texas, guys. Like, I like Westerns when they're done right, but they're so often not done right. They're so often very boring. And like, but like, this is like a Western done right, these two episodes, because they're pretty much go hand in hand with each other. Okay, okay. so um, I misunderstood it first time. What you're saying is, I'm a Texan, <laughs> and if it's not like primo quality Western, I don't want it. Keep it away from me. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love cowboys. Cowboys are fun. Um, but, uh, you know, you got your cowboys, you got your Vikings, vampires, pirates, like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I love all that. And I, like I said, I love the the Western tone that these two episodes take because it's very different than what we've seen before, but it works. It doesn't feel out of place or like, you know, weird tone shift or anything. Um, Speaking of but, uh, weird shifts in tone, how about that childhood story arc? It is <laughs> nothing but childhood trauma after childhood trauma after childhood trauma. Like that is, I'm sorry, it is a very dark storyline. The whole thing is. is extremely dark and disturbing. I felt like I was watching like some some Victorian orphan growing up in these like torturous conditions. I'm like, is this really? Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, this honestly could have been its own episode, just an entire flashback to Zuko's childhood, because there's so much that is revealed, but also so much that's left in mystery um, surrounding right. Ursa and what happened and all that. Um, so I really would have loved to, for this to have been its own episode. But um, as it is, I think that they do the flashbacks so well in showing the family dynamic, first of all, which is super important. Um, we see that in within the, you know, I was going to say the Fire Lord household, but, you know, Zuko's home. Um, the firehouse. You know, Zuko and his... <laughs> yeah, the firehouse. <laughs> um, but... Uh... <laughs> the uh that Zuko and his mom are super close and it's a very loving very supportive relationship between the two of them as a mother and son relationship should be um between Azula or yeah Azula and Ursa it's much more strained like you can tell that she is not the favorite child <laughs> um that Ursa knows that there's something wrong with her kid but she she can't really do anything about it. She's a kid. Like she's probably, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old at the most in this flashback. So it's, it's a really rough situation when you have kids that are showing signs like that early, but you don't know if it's just, Oh, there's just a kid, like whatever. Or if it grows into something more as they grow. And obviously for Azula, it does. Cause she bitch be crazy. Um, but um, so yeah, she's got lots of mommy issues going on there that obviously we see stemmed from this early childhood. Um, yeah, when you then, when you see uh, signs of uh, psychopathy in your kids, a seek help and b remember it's hereditary, folks. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. 
It's a bunch of fire killers. Um, so, uh, and then Ozai favorites Azula because she is so bloodthirsty and so cruel and so, you know, just like she's a prodigy. She's so incredibly powerful and strong. I was going to say in the force. Oh my God. <laughs> strong <laughs> in her firebending prowess. There we go. I know. Ray um, and the powers of her grandfather. Oh, sorry. I mean, Azula. Right. Um, so, you know, you can see how a child like Azula would get her brain, brain, her brain would be very warped by being the favorite of Ozai, who is a monster. And there's just, and there's course, no her, depth. Her brain would be fried from. <laughs> oh my God, please. This is um, your brain. This is your brain in the Fire Nation. <laughs> it really helps to inform both Zuko and Azula's characters, seeing them interact with their parents and how, you know, Ozai clearly hates Zuko. Like, he's just such an asshole to him. And for no reason, like, he's doing the best he can. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not enough. He's a disappointment. He's like the black sheep of the family. Like, we don't talk about Zuko. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, it's really interesting. And I love the scene where they do the demonstration for Fire Lord Azula. Mm -hmm. You know, Azula's killing it, as always, because she's a prodigy. Um, and then Zuko, trying to kind of match up to her, goes up and he's like, I would like to show what I've been learning. And he falls flat on his face like two times, three times. Mm -hmm. And it's really embarrassing. I know, <laughs> I was expecting like mom... a panel of Olympic judges to hold up like threes and fours from the sidelines. <laughs> right. And then there's the one that does like a six, <laughs> but they like <laughs> shoo him away. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that would be me. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Um, <laughs> I love you. But uh, yeah, and when he does fail and he's like super embarrassed, and he's like cowering, covering himself in embarrassment. His mom just comes up and she just like encourages him. You know, that's who you are. Someone that keeps fighting even when it's hard. And that's like Zuko's character in a nutshell. I, mean, I know it's like it's all, that... what Zuko really needs is like a nurturing, kind of smothering, motherly type <laughs> Katara. <laughs> oh my god, that was gonna go in a completely different direction. <laughs> it's like he has a loving, nurturing person in his life. It's Iroh, <laughs> and he just threw him <laughs> under the bus. Uh, but yeah, no, no. Uh, so it kind of reminds that line reminded me so much of back in the north I, I believe it was siege of the north part two when he's got ang in the cave and there he's just talking even though ang's knocked out and he says you know all my life has been nothing but a fight like i was you know my sister was born lucky i was lucky to be born i've had to struggle and fight and that's made me strong and i'm like hell yes it has no like you know, it's great to be lucky and to, like, be a prodigy or whatever. But, like, if you can get to that level through just sheer will and power and discipline, like, that's more admirable than just being, like, naturally good at something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, the, that's people, why I think the people who are naturally gifted, naturally talented at something, like, yeah, sure, they have their own sets of burdens. But, like, somebody to reach the level... Um, that somebody with natural talent would have, but they get there because of dedication and falling and failing a million times, but always getting up, pushing through, finding new ways to do things, just the innovation and the willpower that that takes. Yeah, is, is absolutely incredible. The people who have to overcome the fact that they aren't naturally good at something, but pursue something that's important to them. Like, yeah, feel mm -hmm. that for sure. Even myself personally, I definitely feel that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most, like, 
I mean, there's lots of great traits in Zuko, like, but I think that's probably the most admirable trait about him is that he doesn't give up. He will go to the ends of the earth to get whatever he needs, however he needs to get it, um, whether that's his honor or the avatar or like his own self-worth or realization, like whatever it is, he will do whatever it takes to get to that point. And yeah. um, you know what? And you know what is funny is that this that that parallel that we're we're discussing between people who have natural talent, we're talking about Azula and we're talking about Zuko, but like you could also mm-hmm. say the same thing in a different way about Aang and Zuko and the duality there. Aang is gifted with incredible power and an amazing natural talent that even Katara has has been jealous of and has caused conflict between them. So people who are naturally talented have to deal with, you know, jealousy or the burdens of expectations, which is the entire arc of like Aang's struggles as a character, that he right. has the burden of the world looking to him for him to succeed because he's supposed to succeed. He has no option. Mm-hmm. Aang goes through life with the option that he failure is not an option. He is going to succeed because right. of who he is. And the fear is, but what if I fail? Zuko, it right. goes, I have failed a thousand times, but every time I fail, I get back up. And that's where that's how I'm going to succeed. Right. Yeah. He he learns from each failure, which is something super important to learn just in life in general, which is a great thing. And it's not often that you get a villain that like that's their thing is like failure and getting back up again that's usually a hero thing you know what i mean right. so it's like and again it just kind of adds to the complexity of his character and like we can see that he's going to eventually become a hero because that's often a hero trait like even if you're not right. good at something you will fail a ton of times but you'll also learn and get better um and that's just him as a character he every time he fails it brings him closer to the ultimate you know redemption because he has to learn through all these mistakes and these failures and these betrayals and everything that happens to him and it's just oh god damn it's so good (laughs) (laughs) i cannot the episode is really really good um i mean like you said it's one of the highest rated ones and rightfully so um you know i really was dialed in and i'll tell you something tragic stories are like some of my favorites and so watching the pain and the struggle and the knife twist at the end with the kids screaming in anakin skywalker fashion i hate you uh you know um (laughs) and and the like trying to do things right and you do it and you succeed but it doesn't really pay off or like the betrayal Mm -hmm. of people knowing your true identity um it's a i mean the episode overall even addresses a lot of really like really deep and we're using this word a lot but i think it applies in this episode because this episode's a gut punch but it's very visceral things you know uh sibling rivalry is the disappointment or favoritism of parents um the the issue of trying to do good but being frustrated because you live in a harsh world where you know does my good really matter um but it also has a bit of um that struggle of if people knew who i really am they're going to reject me so i have to be somebody else or pretend to be somebody else so that'll be accepted like the episode hits so many really really just painful things and i am i am here for the pain i i love a good painful (laughs) agonizing story um right i gotta give zuko alone man this is a hard one to rate I'm going to say that I would give the episode like, 
I give it like a 9.2. I give it like a 9.2. All right. That's that's very respectable. One of your highest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that because of the one big problem that I have with the ending, I, I'm not going to give it a 9.5. Um, that's reserved for my favorite episodes of the, of the show, but I will give it a nine, like a, a solid nine out of 10. Like, I think that that half point, if they had done my version, it probably would have, because I like to be sad, not angry. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think I'll give it a nice solid nine. It's such a good episode. I love how much it expands on Zuko and Azula's characters and kind of the backstory with their family. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Love the and Western I, and, vibe. And, and the thing is, I even feel a little bit like this episode isn't my highest rated one. Like, it's a great one. But like, even thinking back, I'm like, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I rated episodes higher than this. Because I didn't watch this episode and walk away going, wow, that was the best episode of Avatar The Last Airbender I've ever seen. Like, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a complete package. It was very focused on a very specific thing. And it was amazing to have that. Mm-hmm. But like... You know, it it, 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 it it was a great, great episode. I just don't think it's like the most amazing one ever, you know. Same. Um, and that kind of that kind of is one of the biggest hot takes because like that's one of the like episodes that will be on everybody's top five episodes of Avatar list. Like it's and I'm like, it's great, but I don't think it's like top five level great. Like there's so many great episodes of the show. You know, um, we ought to do... enough, sorry, go yes. ahead, no, no. Oh, I was just gonna say. Funnily enough, the next episode is one of my top ten favorites. So <laughs> yes, yes, I, and, and thinking ahead, I can I can see that. But you know, as we're transitioning to talk about episode eight, the chase, um, I was just gonna suggest, and so write, write this down in case I forget about it later after we were done here. Um, but what we ought to do after we're done watching the series is take some time and put down what our top five episodes are. I mean, you already know, haven't watched, but I should do it. We should compare notes on like why we think these episodes are the top five, like best episodes of Avatar or like top three or something. I think that'd be cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it might even have to be top 10 by the time we're done with the show. Cause you're going to have <laughs> we... so many options. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk, but I think that'd be a cool, a cool idea. Yeah. Um, our next episode is episode eight, the chase. It is written by Joshua Hamilton, whose name I, by the end of it, I was like, I had to know who wrote who, who wrote this. So I like when the credits finally came up and I was like, no, don't end. I, immediately I saw his name and I was like, has he written any other episodes of Avatar off the top of your head? Do you know? Yes, but as per usual, I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I'm the worst. Uh, Joshua Hamilton. He is known. Oh, he rolled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Because I must. I must know. Now, I mean, granted, he is a he is a staff writer, so he does a ton yes. of them. Moving forward, the only episode mm-hmm. before this one. I feel like you're gonna have real mixed feelings on on this. The, the only episode he has a written by credit on before this one is The Cave of Two Lovers. Oh, that's why. That's also one of my favorites. Like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just going to be like, why wasn't he on the show earlier than this? I know, right? He's so good. He hits all yeah. the notes for me. 
so yeah joshua hamilton writes some amazing stuff and he uh is credited with a lot of episodes moving forward i don't like when you think of how many episodes we are through the series off the top of my head we must have something like 40 42 ish episodes or something like that of the series left or am i doing the math wrong 32 32 ish i don't know because we're right at the halfway point i believe like once we hit episode 10 that will be the halfway point okay so, so starting yeah. here of the of, of the next 30 episodes he is at least staff writer on 21 of them yep <laughs> so two-thirds of the series from here on out has josh's input on it and Ooh, we have no complaints. We're here for it. We, we're, we're here. <laughs> right. Thank you, Josh. Uh, right. It is directed by my favorite director of the series so far, Giancarlo <laughs> Volpe. Uh, I want to take this. I want to take him out for dinner sometime. Animated by <laughs> DR Movie. I'm serious. Uh, uh, and the episode aired. May, may I say that the 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 animation in this episode is it's real. <laughs> It's real good. It's real, I thought it was real good in this episode. It's just, just amazing. Very action-heavy episode. Very, very much. Uh, the episode aired May 26, 2006, and the IMDb rating of The Chase is a solid 9 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Take us there away with go. the old fun facts. All right. So this is the first time that the series had or sorry, this is the first time in the series that all four elements are shown attacking the same target. Now, this only happens, to my knowledge, one other time, and that's in the finale. So <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. But uh, I do love that shot of them all, like, targeting Azula and just mm -hmm. firing at all cylinders. <laughs> she just yep. magic vanishes away, just yep. like John John did. Um so uh, our second fun fact is that in the DVD commentary of the episode, Michael Dante DiMartino and Josh, Joshua Hamilton mentioned that the episode was inspired by Western films and TV shows, such as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I think that this is a book, but Shane, I think that's a uh, Western book. I'm not familiar with that one, but I literally, yeah, have, not, in, uh, I literally have in my notes, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, three-way standoff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep, definitely. I mean, from the setting to the Mexican standoff to the fight at the end, it's just everything is very Western. Oh, the biggest sneeze was about to come out and it did not happen. Oh my <laughs> Sorry. Gosh. No, you're fine. Oh. I wasn't uh. sure if you were like trying to like listen to somebody or what no, you it's were hard doing. because I need a I need light in order to sneeze. I'm one of those people that like looks toward a window or like looks toward the sun or like a light, but it's dark in here, so I have no light source. So I was like trying to look toward my lamp in the corner and it did not work. Oh my nose is gonna feel weird the rest of the time. Hey, it's not weird. Sixty percent of people are photosensitive sneezers, I think is the word for it, and need a light source to sneeze. So you are in the minority. I've never heard of that. Interesting. Another fun <laughs> fact for you guys. <laughs> more, more fun. This is Bill and I, the science guy now, folks. Uh, Please consider uh, the following. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so getting back to our fun facts. <laughs> when Katara first talks to Toph about helping out, Toph is chewing on a piece of wheat, a well-known component of Jet's character. 
Additionally, Toph and Jet are both are both possess rebellious natures. I was <laughs> it's fun. I, this was literally in the fun facts. I'm like, okay, but it did make me think of him. Uh, we miss you, Jet. <laughs> everyone, you want to make sure that everyone knows you're rebellious. Make sure you get some wheat and chew on it as you're walking down the road. Exactly. Wow, look at that rebel. Not, not a care in the world. <laughs> right. I just imagine walking through the streets of Chicago with like a wheat, like <laughs> a wheat stalk sticking out of my teeth, just like yeah. You might look more like a farmer than a rebellious, you know, bad boy. But what's whatever. more, what's more rebellious in the urban sprawl in Chicago than looking like a farmer? Okay, that's true. Uh, <laughs> so, what'd you think of this episode? So, leading off on my commentary on the chase. Um, was something I mentioned earlier in the podcast was this is that it's such a, a culture shock coming back from like 24 straight minutes of nothing but Zuko and immediately mm -hmm. I'm like who are these people? Oh yeah that's right it's, it's these guys it's it's team Avatar the main we, I know <laughs> these these main characters of the show here um, I, and, and I think it's great that we went from seeing um seeing Zuko to immediately going back to how's everyone else getting along and they address something which I'm glad that they spent so much time doing it which is ironing out how Toph is fitting in or in this case not mm -hmm. fitting in with the group and and it's right. it's great it, it's great and it does it serves to show that thing um that the show does so well with the main group, like with Katara and Sokka and Aang, which is show little things about people getting along and relationships and friendships and kind of illuminating little points about them, about like jealousy and envy and, and things like that. And in this case, it's just people, two things, the big lesson Toph learns, which is, you know, you can't hide, you know, your needs and be an island and I can pull my own weight, I can carry my own weight and just not let other people help you you can't do that can't do that folks it's not healthy if you're trying mm -hmm. to be an island and not let other people help you with stuff in life by being a rock no that is dirt nation propaganda that has seeped into your brain and is affecting your relationships stop it get some help <laughs> stop it Get some help. <laughs> but secondly of all, it also has the very simple thing of people being tired and being overtired and snapping at each other when you're tired right. and frustrated. Yeah, it's like since we're on this, um, I think that the way that they handle the new the new team avatar dynamic with Toph in the mix is so perfect. Because from what we know is of, of her as a character, we've only had one episode with her so far. But we know that she is a super, like, she takes care of herself. She has been doing that for years. And she's super self-reliant. She doesn't trust people to, like, she doesn't trust herself to let people in to help her. Because she doesn't want to feel weak or, like, a burden to anybody. Um, so, like, the fact that, yeah, because Katara is the motherly type. And she does want to kind of bring Toph into the group and, like, be part of the, the function. Um, I think that that causes some really realistic tension between the two of them. They're so different. And yet there is this sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say that. I don't know. There, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love the tension between the two of them. And 
this is, I don't know if this is just Joshua Hamilton and like his amazing writing, but he writes some of the funniest jokes in these, in the cave of two lovers. And in this episode, yep. this episode is fucking hilarious. It really and, is. <laughs> like the, my, one of my favorite jokes in all of avatar. And there's, there's a lot of them, but this is one of them. Um, <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my God. When uh, they're all sleep air, they're trying to sleep. Um, and Toph is like in her little earth tent and Katara just says, the stars sure are beautiful. Too bad you can't see them, Toph. <laughs> like, I literally, the audacity, Katara. <laughs> like, yep. again, I love that they're not afraid to make blind jokes. And that's one of the funniest ones. Um, so just, Sokka is then, also hilarious. He's so funny. Oh yeah, like the rivalry between Katara and, and Sokka, or not Sokka, uh, Toph is great, but Sokka's little snide comments on the side are just, mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> like, so good. Yeah, you two are pretty much jerks. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he's I love... watching from the sidelines. Well, especially because, and this is an interesting dynamic to point out um, on this, both on the funny note and the interesting note, is that uh, Toph, to the best of my recollection, she's uh, an only child. So, yep. she, so she doesn't know what it's like to have siblings. And there's, you know, Katara, and she's like, hey, little sister, like, you gotta help us out? And she's like, I don't normally have siblings to do stuff to help them or even interact with, much less have a big sister bugging me to do it. So, of course, it's gonna be, you know, unwelcome. Um, but a real quick also side note about Toph, it's not just, and I, I was wondering if the episode was illuminated and they didn't really say it, but, like, she's also from a super wealthy family so yeah yep. we think of her as like oh she's scrappy and she's independent she's used to surviving on her own well she is in so much as she used to sneak out and do a bunch of things that would be dangerous so she can protect herself but she also right. really resented being at home and being told what to do and where to go and being like you know what i mean being bossed around by parent figures she hated it uh, especially because it kept her down as if she was helpless which, you know, kind of goes along with the whole I have to prove I'm not helpless thing. Um, but yeah, the fact that she comes from a rich family and the episode didn't mention it, but the whole time I'm like, yeah, she really isn't isn't used to this, any of it. Those siblings, yeah. you know, all of it. Having to work, <laughs> like right. she probably, you know, she probably, when she's at home at least, doesn't have to lift a finger. Everything is done for her. So the fact that she has to help them with things like setting up the tent or like, you know, gathering firewood, whatever they need help with, like, that's something that she probably would like just send her servants to do at home. Like, why would I need to do that? Um, and, you know, they don't say it, but you just kind of get that vibe. You're like, yeah, she doesn't want to work because she has never had to work. <laughs> she has a <laughs> really funny, sense. she has a really funny duality that isn't like two sides of her. It's just one thing in one of She's a spoiled rich kid, but she doesn't act the way she acts because she's a spoiled rich kid. She acts the way she acts because she's really independent and self-reliant. But she's also a spoiled rich kid, <laughs> right. kind of without knowing it. Like, you know what I mean? She's she's lived a yeah. life where she's never had to worry about things, either because she handled it herself or, or everyone that did it for her. Right. Whether she resented it or not, she's literally never needed anything from, like, friends. Yeah, lots of stuff just peeled back about her character there, especially her interaction with Iroh, which was an amazing, like, interaction that she would run into him of all people. And I like, mm -hmm. and I like, 
I like that bit of illumination that he does because Iroh is so just like, you know, chivalrous and he's so polite and he's so just nice. And she's like, you had to be my tea, but you know, I could get it myself. And he's like, no, I did it because I wanted to do that. Right. Yeah, no, I, out of all the people for her to have come across in her, you know, brief journey when she was by herself, when she left the team, that's the perfect person for her to have come across. Like, out of any character in the show, that is who she needed to meet because it, I think he really, as he does, because he's Uncle Iroh and he's phenomenal, um, he really shines a light on, like, or I guess gives her a different perspective on her situation and, you know, being a part of Team Avatar without really realizing it. Um, and just like how, you know, he helps her, she kind of helps him in return by saying, you know, yeah, I know that it may not seem like it now because he's run away, but I'm sure your nephew needs you too. And he does. He always needs Uncle Iroh. Everyone needs an Uncle Iroh in your life. Someone that is like unabashedly just there for you and like, you know, behind you no matter what and supports you. And like, everybody needs somebody like that. And that is Team Avatar is that for Toph. They would never abandon her or leave her or treat her like she's helpless, like her family does. Like they are that for her whereas he Iroh is that for Zuko so I think that they kind of came to that conclusion the two of them and it's just such a simple yet poignant thing you're like wow these these crazy kids like <laughs> learning <laughs> lessons left and right um yeah but to the actual plot then of the episode enough enough character character dissection here mm -hmm. but the the plot of the episode where they are on the run the whole thing had been going for a while i was like what is this thing why are they after them and then after a while i was like are you sure you guys just happen to be flying in a straight line where this thing is going maybe you just like turn left <laughs> just going in it turn yeah maybe this thing isn't actually going after you you just so happen to be going in the same direction as them uh, but no, mm -hmm. no, Ozai's angels are back, and uh, and and I, I got I got to tell you, I said out loud at the part where they're like, "Oh, it's they're following Appa's fur trails." Well, I know what we'll do. We'll just take the fur and lead them off in another direction. And the villains stop, and they get out, and they see the fur trail, and then they look, and they and, and Azula sees the broken treetops, and she's like. We're going to split up. You two go that way. I'll go this way. And I said out loud, intelligent villains. I love this show. Yes. Yeah, she's so smart. And like, I, yeah, I love bringing back, not that they've been gone for, for too long, but I love this trio of badass bitches. Like, they're so cool. Um, and uh, I love the splitting up of them, you know, Azula going after Aang and May and Ty Lee going after uh, Sokka and Katara and Appa. Because um, oh, I love just the... Real quick, by oh. the way, real quick. I loved that little note that May had a crush on Zuko when they were kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the previous episode of the flashbacks. Yeah. And that's actually not just in the flashbacks, but in the first episode that we meet May and Ty Lee, um, one of the last lines of that episode when they're leaving with Azula is like, oh, it'll be interesting to see Zuko again, won't it, May? And like, she just kind of blushes and looks off to the side like, oh, whatever. Um, but yeah, there, <laughs> there's something going on there. Yeah, there's something. There's something. It mm -hmm. may not be full fire yet, but there are some embers there kindling. <laughs> That's not oh, even goodness. a pun. That's just real. Um, right. Okay, so, but <laughs> I had to laugh out loud at this part, though. Um, 
yeah, the villains, I love that they were smart because, because you know, stupid villains are, inept villains are, like, my pet peeve. Like, they're the villains, for crying out loud. Imagine having plans of world domination and being like, oh, imagine getting, like, bugs bunnied by, like, kids. It's stupid. Right. Uh, but I love where Katara is fighting them, and she, like, throws the wall of water, and it, like, slaps the lizards. Oh, my gosh. The lizards just running across the water. <laughs> but I love where Katara they clear the river and they're right through the river bank and the first thing Katara does is look at her canteen and she's like <gasps> and I'm like there's literally a river in front of you I get it you're <laughs> sleep deprived but it was so yeah. funny I'm like Katara there's water there's millions of gallons of water right in front of you you don't know what you're looking at your canteen right. for yes and i i love that entire it's very brief but i do love that entire fight scene between uh katara may tylee and um mm -hmm. sokka because you know you've got katara using her water bending and you know trying to avoid getting her chi blocked by tylee and then getting you know her her wrist bound by uh may and sokka is just over here like get, <laughs> get chi blocked <laughs> yes avoiding getting his chi blocked and like dancing with may or a ty lee basically <laughs> she's like bonk, bonk, his yeah, arms are like falling asleep his legs asleep she tries to do it in his head and he just like bonk she hurts her hand <laughs> yes nice try but no <laughs> so, that's a very fun little uh, action scene um and then we kind of move over to um uh azula who is tracking ang to this little like abandoned mining town and it is very Western. I mean, like the shots, the angles, the sun being at sunset, like everything about it just screams Western. Can I tell you one thing, though, that gave me goosebumps? It was super well done in the episode. I loved mm -hmm. where Aang ended the trail and stopped and popped open his little kite like he was going to fly away. And he just looks off toward the mountains where his enemy, whoever it is, is going to come find him. And instead, he closes it up and he sits down to wait for them, and the trail will lead exactly to where he's sitting. I got chills. I was just like, "Oh, it's oh, yeah. I got chills. They're multiplying." <laughs> I just loved it. My, that was my favorite moment of the entire episode. Was that right there? Oh, oh, it's a good, it's a good moment, and it kind of shows just like how tired he is. Like, I don't even think that that was like a oh, you know, I'm going to face whoever it is. Like, I'm tired of running. I think he was just literally tired. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah. I can't go anymore. I'm just going to wait. Like, yeah. But, like, but like I like how his, but I like the way his physical fatigue, though, also could have been metaphorically taken like that wisdom. Right. Like, I can't keep running. They're going to wear me down. And he's like, I will sit and I will. A little bit of like the Qui-Gon when they're, he's behind the force field and instead of pacing back mm -hmm. and forth, waiting for his enemy to strike, getting ready for that moment, he just kneels and meditates and i'm like right. there's Aang, there's my boy right there there's like 70 750 avatars before him all inside they know what to do right yeah and then you know we do finally get um the confrontation between him and azula and then zuko just pops up out of nowhere <laughs> he's like yeah no this fight's mine and get out of here um and then they go at it like after a little bit of back and forth you know Azula being a little bitch to Zuko. 
<laughs> yeah, a a um, Aang, Aang being the good, Azula being the bad, and Zuko, sorry boy, but the scar gives it away, being the ugly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we get this super fast-paced, high-octane, like high-energy fight between the three of them. Um, it's literally it. a firefight. <laughs> Don't hate me. Stop. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, and one of my favorite, again, this is just a really subtle, mo funny moment, but it cracks me and Rachel up every time we watch it. Cause we, this is one of our most watched episodes. Like I adore this episode. Mm. Um, and one of the, <laughs> one of my favorite little moments from it, um, from this fight, I should say, is when Aang runs into the top, it's to the second floor of the building. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, and Azul is chasing after him and the building is like collapsed so there's just a giant hole in the middle of the second floor building and so she almost falls in but she catches herself and then Zuko runs in <laughs> onto the first floor <laughs> I'm like oh my baby it's just he just runs full force uh it's it's like being in front of Fire Lord Azulon all over again, isn't it? <laughs> yes. You know, Azula's very quick on her feet and she's able to like, you know, pick herself back up when she, you know, almost falls, but Zuko, no, he just runs straight into the hole. <laughs> she's like stopping. a cat she's just... like a cat and a fence, and he's like a bull in a china shop, just like always. <laughs> yes. And then Aang's just sitting there like on his little air scooter <laughs> watching. <laughs> and then there's <laughs> you on the so sidelines. You're killing it, King. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go off, King. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Again, the humor in this episode is just top notch. Um, but uh, yeah, so they they do their little brawl. And then we get the entire rest of the team that comes in, um, including Toph, who is down there. And Uncle Iroh. Everybody's here. The gang's all here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they kind of corner Azula. And... You know, we ne never, ever trust anything that comes out of Azula's mouth. Like, that's just kind of rule number one. Azula always lies. So, like, I knew even as a kid, like, she is totally bullshitting them when she's saying, yeah, oh, I surrender. Um, and, of course, she backstabs and double crosses and all that. And she ends up basically, yeah, <laughs> Todd's, like, literally creepy. She shoots Uncle Iroh in the chest. Yep. Big old bolts of, not lightning, but her blue fire straight to the chest and... Oh, it's and Zuko's reaction is just oh, he just got back with him. It's been so long. He did, and, and Toph literally just uh, said to him, "You should go tell your your nephew that you need him too." And I'm just like waiting. I'm just like, no, no, I was just say it. Just, just, just be like, I came it. back because I need you. <laughs> Nothing happens. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> It's a lot. Um, I was saying, and then especially, and then, and then Katara even like offers to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's just Zuko's so emotionally distraught. He just shouts, you know, leave at them. And again, that that one line is just so perfectly executed by Dante Bosco. It's you just feel so much pain and like anger towards Azula, and just oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, and yeah, and the last. Yeah. The very last thing that in the perfect way, honestly, to end the episode is um, you know, the gang flies off with Appa, and we just see them kind of rest on this mountaintop and they just are all asleep. 
Like after this, yeah. all of this, this nonstop chase, this basically one extended action scene of an episode and they finally get to rest. And it's just, you literally kind of, you almost exhale with them. You're like, it's over. Like, you know, at least for now, like you just, they so need this rest and this time of relaxation. And after all that they've been through in this episode and it's super, super satisfying, but it's also really sad on, you know, the other hand, because Iroh just got very badly injured and Zuko, it, like. <laughs> I promise I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not crying. Um, it's but yeah. Something, it's, it's, it, there's something in the air. It's my allergies. <laughs> right. Yep. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, man, there's just so, like, there's so much to talk about. And yet, there's it's only really one story like it it all converges at the end um which to have so much packed into the episode but for it to not feel like it like it the pacing goes so fast but in a good way because it you want it to go fast it's a chase you know um but to have all the storylines converge at the end like i said it just makes it seem so seamless and it just flows so nicely that you don't even notice like how fast the episode's going and how we've been to like 10 different locations and suddenly, wait, what? We're in a Western town now. Okay. And and, and the episode doesn't even feel like it's rushed or anything like that. It's so well paced and every, and, and there's no part of the action that lags where you find yourself like, Oh, but can we just go back to, to Katara and Sokka because we've spent too much time with Aang or anything like that. Like it's all perfectly measured out. And the fact I think what helps it too in that regard is that a lot of the characters leave certain scenes and settings and like they leave from where other characters are and then they go off on their own and pretty soon they meet up. So there's no like long parts of the episode with like one group separated out from another group where we're just cutting back and forth between them like the Cave of Two Lovers, you know, or multiple other episodes where we're just in two groups that are in two separate places doing two separate things. Like we're not doing that this time right yeah no it's it's so good um like i don't even know what else to say it's one of my favorite episodes for a reason yeah i mean all things considered the episode really had a lot of everything really woven into it because um you know it had a ton of character development it had a lot of um exposed character of toff which i appreciate because you know you told me that you know she pretty much the way she is the way she's going to stay and so it's great that the opportunities they take with her character are not to show growth and change but we're just getting parts of who she currently is revealed to us and explained to us and expressed in different ways as she meshes she's not going to change and become different but like she has learned something yeah we're we're peeling back the layers to her yes exactly so that we understand who she is because we haven't had you know 30 plus episodes with her like we have with everybody else um the return of ozai's angels was great in the episode the action of course you know I- incredibly good humor even throughout like the, the there was action and then humor and action and then humor and drama and then some humor like it's really well done super yeah i we didn't even mention this joke but this is another amazing joke um the when ozai's angels are finally revealed and toph is like we can take them three on three <laughs> sokka's just like <laughs> actually Toph, it's four of us um, i wasn't sorry. counting you you're not being a bender and all i can still fight <laughs> okay okay three on three plus sokka 
so perfect. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. So so I think yeah, I think I'm gonna give I think I'm gonna give this episode. I think I'm gonna give this episode. It's gonna sound funny because of my rating of the previous episode. I think I'm gonna give this episode a I'm gonna give it a nine plus Sokka out of ten. <laughs> that that's valid. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny to be able to compare them side to back to back. I think the only edge that the previous episode had, and it's very, very small on the sheer technicality, was that I really just enjoy like the angst of like painful character backstories and 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 real tragedy and stories a little bit, like like because I enjoy it so much, I think that made me enjoy that episode just a tiny bit more. Even despite the heavy drama and the heavy action, how amazing this episode is, like, nothing against it. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, this is a 9.5 out of 10 for me. Like, this is, <laughs> this is a top-tier, top-10 episode. I've watched it so many times. Um, one of my top-watched episodes, and it, everything about it works for me. Um, literally the only thing and this isn't something that could be changed but um if jm animation had done it it would have probably been a 10 out of 10 <laughs> like, yeah i mean um, i was i mean the animation even at that was like very very good for it being you know for it being dr movie the animation is really really you know well done in this oh yeah no but like if it had that extra just just added element it probably would have been a 10 out of 10 but as it is like i said it's still one of my favorite episodes um and i absolutely love it so 9.5 out of 10 for me <laughs> amazing so yeah um it leaves us on a huge cliffhanger though because you know zuko and iroh what now you know they have these ways of bouncing off of the main group and then they're off on their own again and so like especially with uncle iroh he's just hurt right yeah, no, no, no. He he ain't gonna die, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, good. Okay. Now I can sleep tonight. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, he's badly hurt, but he's not going to die. <laughs> I feel better now. I feel better now. <laughs> Rest easy. Thank you. So yeah, no, I'm dying to see what happens next. I can say I'm dying now that I know that Iroh isn't dying. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I am dying to see what happens next. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, can it get more exciting than this? We shall see. <laughs> I guess we will. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah. And please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.